We are, we are starting today one of the most exciting adventures that we are ever going to have as the family of New Life Church. It is, we've been talking about it for months, it is the journey of the story. A couple of things about the story. Number one, if you're a teenager, like Pastor Chen said, or an adult, you need to have a copy of the story. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask one of our brawny men uh, to go back in the back and grab a case of those Bibles and just walk the aisles for a second. And if somebody doesn't have a copy of it, give it to them. Can you do that? Can somebody just jump up and do that for me, please? Thank you so much. Great. Good. Let Larry, the guy that has a bum knee, do it. But whatever. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you jumping up and doing it. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're 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 gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna make sure you got a copy. And why? Um, number one, because we want you to read one chapter a week. And here's, here's the, the delicate balance that I have as the, as the lead pastor and the, and the primary teacher at the church, is some of you are going to be like, that is so much to read. You're asking a whole lot of me. And others of you are going to go like, that's, that's it? Just one chapter a week? Really? That's all you're asking of us? I mean, that, then that seemed kind of minimalistic? Well, there's the balance in this. So if you want to read more, read more. Let me tell you a little bit about this book as you're getting it. It is the New International Version of the Bible, but it is not the complete Bible. It's actually written and developed as a novel. In fact, when you touch the pages, as you open up the pages, you're like, well, this doesn't even feel different. It feels like a novel. They took out all of the um, chapter numbers and verse numbers. They took all of those out. And so it, it connects together like a novel. Truly, the Bible is a story, one long story. You need to know something about this. There are selections from the Bible, but it's not the entire Bible. The intention is never to take anything away from the Bible. It's to give us the, the, uh, the tour through Scripture so that we understand what God is saying to his church, to his people. Um, a couple of things. When you read this book, um, anything that is not italicized is the Word of God. It is the Bible, the NIV. Anything that is italicized is put, to, put there by the authors. Randy Frazee and Max Lucado are two extremely uh, well-known authors and speakers and pastors in culture today. And they put this together, and the italicized words are to connect the stories together, the chapters together. There are 31 chapters in this book, and we're going to read every single one of them. So the commitment is threefold. I said it before, I'm going to keep on saying it. The first commitment is you need to read one chapter a week. Every man and every woman and every teenager needs to have a copy for yourself, not be, uh, because I don't want you sharing. It's not like a family Bible. What I want you to do is mark the thunder out of this thing, highlight, underline. In fact, what I'm going to do when I preach uh, over and teach over the next 31 weeks is I'm going to refer to this book, the scriptures in this book. I'm going to tell you what page number I'm on and what sentence I'm on so that you can underline, write your questions, write the date that you heard a teaching on it, something in there that will prompt your memory. I promise you, this is going to become a valuable tool. And for some of you, this will become a family heirloom. This will become something your children and your grandchildren will look through one day and see the notes that you put down, the questions, the thoughts, the wow, the aha moments that you had as you were studying God's word and how it flowed together. This is a powerful tool for you. And so write in it, underline it, highlight it, write your questions in it. It's totally your book to use. Next week, you'll read chapter two. So chapter one is for this week. You didn't read it. It's cool. So if I did my math right, you have to read two chapters for next week. But we want you to stay up with us, okay? So just read it. It's really, really not hard reading. And underline and highlight and write questions and different things in there. Because reading is your first of three things you have to do. Number two, we want you to be faithful to church. You're here. 
Congratulations. I'm so glad you're either joining us online or joining us in person, but you're here. You're a part of this. So come faithfully to church where I will then either give you a, a, an overview of what you read this last week, or I will take out one nugget and we'll talk about that one nugget of what was in the reading this week. It's kind of cool when you go to church and you're not surprised. And you're like, well, that was interesting. The pastor really taught me something. See, what we do in church, I don't think is always doing the greatest service to the people that attend because we don't always tell you what it is we're gonna talk about. This way, you've already read, thought about, processed what we're gonna talk about in church on Sunday. And it also holds me to the fire, does it not? So then you know as you come in what I'm gonna talk about already. And that doesn't scare me, that excites me, because then we can have a conversation together. And speaking of conversation, you're gonna read, you're gonna come to church, and we're challenging you to go to the group. This campus has a group on Mondays at 6 p.m. Yes, there's childcare available. We want you to be here for one hour from six to seven. Some of you already checked out. Stop it. This is one of the most important life-changing opportunities that you have for this year between now and Easter is to come on Mondays from six to seven. In fact, we're going to have tables and chairs set up in here. You can even come early. Come at 5.15, 5.30, bring your own dinner. Stop at Taco Bell or what? I'm not commercializing anything. Just stop somewhere. If you own a restaurant, that's where you should go. So stop there and then bring the food here and eat around the table with your family before we dismiss the kids at six o'clock. But it's going to be a powerful time from six to seven because we're going to unpack what we read the previous week and talk about it a little bit more. I mean, I'm telling you what, you're going to develop relationships and friendships as you dive into God's word together. This is going to be incredible. All right, so catch up, read chapter two for next week. Um, before I go any further, let me kind of tell you, the Bible itself can be divided into five different categories. And this is my, my summary of the entire Bible. The first category is, is, what, we're gonna, is what we're gonna talk about today. I, I, I was an art major in college, so uh, just so you know, this is number one. All right, and so some of you know that this is, yeah, I know, settle down. This is one of the most beautiful trees you ever did see. The, 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 the first story that we're talking about is, is the story of creation. And this is gonna be Genesis 1 through 11. So the first category of the Bible is creation. It's, it's what we're gonna discuss today. Uh, then there's four other ways. I mean, how, the Bible, how big is the Bible? The Bible is 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books totally put together. It's called the canon of scripture. And you can take all 66 of those books, thousands of pages, and you can put it together and summarize it into five different categories. And the first one is the story of creation. The second one is the story of the story of the nation. God builds a nation. And this is Genesis 12 through Malachi. God builds a nation. Um, and that to many people can be the most boring part of the entire Bible. But the whole point of God building this nation that we know is, is Israel, the reason God built a nation is because now the human being, the race, mankind that he, that he created has turned our back on God. And God is doing all he can to get us back. And the way he's trying to get us back is he builds a nation. And that nation, through all of the stories within the story of God building this nation, we're gonna see a crimson red thread woven throughout it all. And it's the story of redemption. It's the story, the story of 
of Jesus, which brings us to, to number three, and that is the story of Jesus. And that is gonna be Matthew through John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we go from creation to God building a nation to God giving us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and he gave us his son so that his son could bring us back into relationship with him, something that we forfeited way back in creation. And then number four um, is God builds a church. And this is gonna be Acts through Jude. God builds a church. The purpose of God building a church, not a building, but people, followers of his son Jesus, is twofold. Number one, it's to bring us back into relationship with him. That's what he wanted all along. But number two, it is so that we can tell the world that Jesus is coming back. So we can tell the world that Jesus is coming back, which is my fifth thing that I want to share with you, which is this thing again, which is, you know what it is, when you see it, you're gonna be like, oh, I get it, yeah. Number five is, is the new garden. It's the new garden. It's the, it's, it's, it's the book of Revelation. And that's how you divide the Bible up. We, we started off in creation um, in paradise with God. We started off in relationship with God and it, everything was perfect and then we forfeited that relationship with God. So now God is, is building a nation to try to get us back, try to, try to teach us that he's already got a plan in place to redeem mankind. And then he gives us his son Jesus, which is a fulfillment of all of the 300 plus stories or prophecies that God gives to us here that don't worry, I got you. And then we're the church. This is where we're living right now is what's called the church age. Jesus has not come back yet to get us, but one day, Amen. one day, yep. it's, it's gonna be today. Yep. I, I'm, I promise you it'll be today. He's coming back today. And, and if I'm wrong, he's coming back tomorrow. Okay? And it's possible I'm wrong, he'll come back the next day, I guarantee it. I just know he will, but he's coming back, and he's coming back soon. And so our job is to tell people that, is to be the church, to act like the church, to walk like the church, talk like the church, go into the highways and byways, compel people to come into, not the church, into relationship with Jesus. And then finally, what was broken here oh, is even better here. That's the story. That's the story of the Bible. And, and when I look at this, this, this right here, this, which is what we're gonna to cover today, I would tell you this is the halfway point of the book. Guess what? If you read chapter one of this book, you are halfway through the Bible. You're not really literally halfway through the Bible, but you're halfway through the story because this is on that side, the rest of it is on this side. Oh, you're gonna get this a whole lot more here as we, as we go through the story, uh, the story together today. I don't know about you, but I love going to the movies. My wife and I enjoy going to the movies. I'm so thankful the movie theaters open up again. Hopefully we'll start getting some more awesome movies that are there. I like the action adventure. I'm a guy. I like those kind of movies. My wife likes the true stories, the kind of real life things, so we compromise. 
and we go see the true stories in the real life movies. Um, but, uh, but we really do like to see, I, w- here's the deal. If we're gonna go see a real action movie, one thing that we both agree is we cannot miss the first few minutes of the film. You, you gotta be in there because nothing's worse than walking in and just seeing the letters on the screen 24 hours earlier. And you're like, but what happened? What happened? That's like, that's like the epic part of, of the film. The beginning of the Bible is much like the beginning of an action-packed movie. If you miss the opening minutes of the movie, you're not gonna understand the rest of the story. So today, we're talking about the beginning few minutes of the movie. This is what sets the stage for everything. And I'm gonna divide this into three things that I'm gonna say, and I know you're gonna write these things down. Jot them down in the story if you want to. We're gonna begin on page one, so you might wanna turn there because we're gonna be reading from it in just one second. The the beginning of the story, first thing I wanna say is God begins with creation. It says, it says, if I look on page number one in the story, the very first sentence, and I can't tell you which verse because there's no verse numbers, but I can tell you where the sentence is found. And for me, I'm committed to everything that I teach about or preach about will be fully highlighted or underlined inside this book for when I'm done. So we can see what we talked about here. But bring this book with you to your group on Monday because you're gonna be diving in even more with this. And you're gonna have all kinds of questions and guess what, you're gonna have answers for people too. It's gonna make you feel like, wow, God, I'm, I'm really understanding this. Genesis 1.1, the very first sentence, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It said, what does it say? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a big bang that took place. Some of you kind of checked out on me already. I'm not talking about the evolutionary uh, bunk that is taught in some of our educational entities today. I'm not talking about evolutionary theory. I'm talking about this big bang that it's spoken for us in the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Who is the main character of the grand story? He is unveiled in the first four words, God. And he's unveiled and he's revealed to us right here at the very beginning. And notice that creation comes right after that. In the beginning, God what? Created. Well, God always was. He is, he always will be. God is not limited by time nor space, which if you think about it too long, your brain will explode. He's always been and he always will be. And the cool thing that I see about creation is if you're artistic in any way, this should appeal to you. If, if you are uh, poetic in any way, this should really be something that will, you'll find this to be amazingly beautiful. On the first three days, God created in six days. Remember, on the seventh day, he rested. The first three days, God is creating places. In the second three days, God creates things to go in the places that he created on the first three days. Day number one, for example, it says God created light and he created dark places. Day number two, God created sky and God created water, separated them. Day number three, God created land. Now we take a look at day number four. Well, day number four, God fills what he created on day number one. Day number one, he created light and dark, and so in day number four, he fills those with the sun, the moon, and the stars. 
Day number five, God fills what he created on day number two. On day number five, he takes, he fills the sky, um, uh, he fills the sky and water with what? With birds of the air, and it says with all kinds of sea creatures. And then on day number six, he fills the land. What does he fill the land with? With animals, all kinds of animals that roam across the earth, and with people, with, with human beings. But of all the things that God created, his creation concludes with his core passion, the thing that he cares about more than anything else that ever was, human beings, you and me. If you're looking at your story, turn to page number two, way down at the bottom of page number two, the very last little paragraph that is there, and then we're going to read just a couple verses at the top of page number three. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let's stop for a second. God, in the beginning, God created. Then he like, after he created and rested, he's like, or on the sixth day, he didn't rest. On the sixth day, he's like, let us. Well, that sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Are you God? Are you by yourself? Is there more than one of you? He's telling us that in the beginning was God the Father. In the beginning was God the Son, Jesus Christ. And in the beginning was God the Holy Spirit who is with us. So in the beginning was this triune God who was speaking as three but in one person. That God himself is saying, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. In other words, you and I were created in the image of the Father, in authority and in power. You and I were created in the image of the Son, in grace, in in compassion, in love. And you and I were created in the image of the Holy Spirit, in comfort and in unction and in drawing. We were created in the image of a triune God. We were the only thing of all creation created in the likeness of him so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In case you didn't get that, he says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God's core passion, his singular mission was he wants to be with us. His core passion is depicted in Adam and Eve. Um, Like many of you, I've traveled to a lot of places across this nation and in many places around the world. Preached the gospel in, in many different continents and nations had the privilege of serving people and even vacationing. We've seen some beautiful things. We've gotten to ride the Maid of the Mist into the center of the Horseshoe Falls at Niagara Falls, one of the most incredible views on the earth. We've gotten to see the Grand Canyon. We, we've, we've been able to see the beaches, multiple, you know, the beaches of Kauai and the beaches of Sri Lanka. My wife and I walked on the, the, the coastline of the Black Sea We've been able to see all kinds of man-made edifices that are gigantic and huge and breathtaking. I remember going to the, in in former Leningrad, Russia, in in St. Petersburg, and spending a day at the Hermitage, 
Uh, it's kind of like the Louvre in Paris. It's one of the, one of the world's most renowned um, art museums. There are Picassos and Monets. You get to see these tremendous works of art. I think about all of creation, all the things that I've seen, and God's like, eh, it's right. But you, you, you're amazing. Yeah, the most beautiful place you've ever been. Think about it right now. It pales in comparison to what God thinks about you. He thinks of you and he's like, wow, wow. And he's not saying, I'll say wow when you get your ducks in a row. I'll say wow when you finally stop doing that thing that you said you'd stop doing a long time ago. I'll say wow when you finally start getting fully committed. God looks at you and he says, wow, I love you. And here's what I know. All the beauties of creation are secondary to you. Hmm. This is a real self-esteem builder is what it is. God's supreme passion is to be with us at all costs. That's the creation. That's why he created us. God wants more than anything else to be with you. I mean, that's what he wants. You mean he doesn't want me to do this and, and give this? No, he wants to be with you. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. But then number two is the fall. Adam and Eve. And all human beings were created with, with something called freedom. We were created, thank God, with freedom, with the power to choose you have, you had, you've got freedom. You have the power to choose. You can get up and leave right now. You might get embarrassed or be dogged by somebody or whatever, but you have the power to do that. You have the power to do whatever you want to do. Now, there's going to be consequences for whatever you choose to do, but you have the power to choose. You see, God says, I won't force my love on anyone. And so he explains it to us and he gives it to us in this tale, a tale, a story within a story, a tale of two trees. Michael, our youth director, would you help me out with this? Tree, tree number one, this one over here, if you would, please. This is tree number one. And he says to us in the garden, I am giving to you access to this tree. And this tree is the tree of life. What is the tree of life? What, what, what is its purpose? I believe the purpose of the tree of life is to help us, is to help us understand that um, we, have, we have access, we have access to God. We have access to him. And he's gonna walk with us in the coolness of the night. He's gonna be with his creation. But God also placed another tree in the center of the garden. And this is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are two trees, really there are thousands of trees within this, the garden called the Garden of Eden, but there are two trees that God specifically talks about. Turn to page three in your story. The very, very last sentence, the last couple of words on the bottom of page three, and then we're going to read a few words from the top of page four. It says, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree, of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Verse, verse number 16 in chapter two now. And the Lord God commanded the man, get this, this is what God says. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, in our current culture, in our current vernacular, in our current context, if I was to tell you, don't eat that fruit, it's poisonous, it's toxic, you will die, I'm pretty sure you won't eat from it. I'm pretty sure you won't do it. But I can guarantee you that if it wasn't Adam and Eve in the garden and it was you, you'd have still eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You say, prove it, Troy. You don't know my motives. Yes, I do. Um, Let me tell you how I know that. Because in this one sentence that God said to Adam and Eve, he revealed two unknowns, two things they'd never heard of before. One thing they'd never heard of before is the word evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat from it. They probably had heard the word good before because everything in the garden was good. But there was no sin There was no such thing as evil. And now somebody's throwing out a word to them that they never heard of before. It's like coronavirus. I don't know, two years ago, did anybody besides me think that somebody drank the wrong beer and got, anybody think that? You know, I don't know. I kind of, maybe I'm, okay, forgive me. I apologize. I thought that, um, or it's like, hey, words that we'd never heard of before. Social distancing. Who had ever heard of that before? Until a couple years, you know what I'm talking about. It's like unknown words. They had no idea what evil was. And they had no idea what death was. If you eat from it, you will die. Nobody and nothing had ever died before. Now you just let that register for a second. Nothing had ever died before. You're telling me that as Adam and Eve were were sleeping under the palm tree and enjoying the coolness of the night, uh, uh, he didn't jump up because she screamed and there was a scorpion there and he's like, die, no because there was no evil, there was no death, there was no aggression, nothing. It was unknown. That's why it was paradise. If we had just tried to understand that for just a second, that's the reason why when the serpent comes along, Satan comes along in the form of a serpent and tempts them and says, well, surely you're going to know more than God. Surely you're going to be God. Surely they kind of fell into that trap because that's how they fell, guys. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. You would have too, and I would have too. And now what happened? The epic story, this, this initial scene from the, the movie, if you will, is being revealed. God's vision to be with his people is ruined. That's why I'm saying you're halfway through the Bible at this point. Because on this side was what it was and what it should be. And then, boom, we blew it. And on this side, all of this is about getting us back so that we can go back and eat from the tree again. Because the Bible says the tree of life has been removed. It's not eliminated, it's not disintegrated, it's not evaporated, it's been removed. God has it hidden from us and it is guarded by angelic forces. 
And in fact, we don't even, it's not even, look at my Bible. I don't know if you can see those pink post-its sticking out there. I highly doubt it, but if you can, um, the, 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 the top one is what we just got done reading in Genesis. And all the way through to the very end of the Bible, we hear nothing about the tree of life again until in your book, if you turn to page 461, 461, that's a long ways, baby. Now we've gone all the way from creation to building the nation, to Jesus, to the church age, to the garden again. Revelation chapter two, verse number seven. Where's it found, Troy? 461, um, about two-thirds of the way down, the angel of the church, of the church is speaking to Ephesus, uh, the church in Ephesus, the angel speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, um, down at the bottom of that paragraph, whoever hears, whoever has ears, excuse me, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. There is nothing on this earth that I want more than for you to be victorious. Man, this is my passion. um, He's speaking to the churches. If you can hear me, hear me, the angel is saying. To the one who is victorious, not to the one that is the fullest, not to the one that is the biggest, not to the one that is the coolest, not to the one that has the neatest programs, but to the church that is victorious. And we're not talking about the local church, we're talking about the capital C global church, to the church that is victorious. What's victory with God? Victory is faithfulness. To the church that is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God in heaven. Not only do we have the tree of life, but you can you can eat from it. It's full circle. Maybe this agricultural, agrarian illustration just doesn't work for you. I hope it does. I hope it penetrates deep down in your spirit. As God is saying that which was removed because of sin will be, will be brought back again. Hallelujah. So I said number one, creation. I said number two, the fall. And number three, well, it's sin's damage. Sin's damage to humanity. And boy, has sin caused a lot of problems for us, hasn't it? Hmm. Because Adam and Eve chose a different vision than God's vision. What was God's vision, Troy? Remember, God's vision was all he wants to do is to be with us. So because Adam and Eve chose a different vision than God's vision, sin became a part of their DNA. And they had babies. There's the word begat in the Bible a lot. There's a lot of begatting going on in this book, right? And, and there's a lot of children that were born. And everyone, oh, you look in the eyes of your precious baby or grandbaby, and you're like, they're perfect, just so perfect. Let me tell you the truth. They are full of sin is what they are. They're selfish Now my baby, (laughs) yes, your baby, 
They want what they want. They're demanding. And they're wonderful. Don't, don't get me wrong. Next generation needs to be influenced. But we're all born with a sin nature. All of us have a tendency, a desire to do what we want instead of what God wants. And that's what the Bible talks about. Genesis 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. The next six chapters in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that's all it talks about. Read it. And as you read it, as you did this week, and you went through many of those excerpts, you saw, oh, the depravity of mankind was, was horrible. They were doing things that are an abomination to God. And um, so is our culture. So is our culture doing that. So are we. And that's what it's all about. It's explaining to us that this sin nature is permeating the entire human race. And so what does God do? He hits the do-over button. A little marriage counseling for you, by the way. This, this is free. Um, if you're married um, or if you have uh, want a desire to be married or, or maybe a desire to stay married, you might want to consider doing this, okay? And this is uh, practice the do-over. You say something stupid. You say something nuts, you say something ridiculous, you say something hurtful, you ought to be able to look at your spouse as soon as it comes out of your mouth and say, can I have a do-over, please? Um, and if your spouse, if your wife, let's just be real, or if your wife is full of grace um, and, 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 and tenderness, she's going to be like, uh, I'll, gi- I'll give you one more chance to try that again. Not that I've ever heard that today. I haven't seen my wife today, but, but um, I, I, I do hear that. And so I say things, and I don't mean to say it how it came out. Uh, may I have a do-over? Yes, I'm going to give you another chance. That's grace. That's, that's actively. If you just ignore it, uh, you're, you're destined for uh, trouble in your, in your marriage. God does a do-over. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 9, chapter 10, that God decides, I'm going to just kill everybody. Everybody except for one family. His name is Noah and his children and their wives. And so God decides he's going to flood the entire earth, do this do-over, if you will, um, as a judgment of floodwaters. Well, the flood comes, by the way, can you imagine being Noah? I'm just thinking about this guy. Um, He's building a boat. Everybody's dogging him. It takes like a century to do it, like about 100 years to build this thing. And he's telling everybody all along, there's going to be thunderstorms. They're on the horizon. They're coming. And they're like, it has never rained on planet Earth. We have no idea. It's another unknown. Noah's talking about something he's never seen and never experienced because up to that point, though all of the plants of the the ground have been watered from underneath, up up from the ground, up from the core, springs of living water had been watering the entire earth, which, by the way, in and of itself is its own prophecy of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's bubbling streams that will come out of the belly, out of the innards of you. That's what's going to water the area around you, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm just telling you, it's all through the Bible. And so it had never rained before, and he's telling them it's going to rain. Sure, sure enough, about 100 years later, they, he says, come on in, two by two, the animals come in, they close the door, his family's in there, it's a thunderstorm, it's raining, everybody dies. God's happy now. You got what you got, you deserve it. You think God is really emotional like that? You think God is, is doing, uh, making decisions based upon emotion like you and I do? The answer to the question is no. Does God, does God uh, have emotions? I believe he does. He can express those emotions. But God isn't reactionary. We don't serve a God of disorder. We serve a God of order. I mean, we just read the creation story. If there ever was order, there was order there. God is a God of structure. May I say God is a God of systems. 
God is a God of strategy. He wants us to be like him, strategic. He wants us to be planning. He wants us to be thinking ahead. He wants us to be strategic and structured, systematic, in the way that we even do church. I mean, I think God is looking at us right now saying, I am so pleased with you. You're reading my word. You're coming together to learn about my word. You're gathering together in groups to discuss my word. It's a systematic approach to a chronological order of his word and how it applies to our life. It's connecting his upper story with our lower story. It is so powerful. But the flood comes and God destroys sin from humanity, except, and God knew this, he did not, he could not, and he would not destroy sin nature from humanity. You see, you'd have thought that after Noah and his family saw all those people die because of sin, that they would have lived better. But the first thing they did when they became Gilligan's Island and got shipwrecked and got off the boat is they sinned. Terrible stuff that you'll read about in the story. It it would take something much bigger than a flood. That's the whole point. Something much bigger than God starting over again. It would take a sacrifice of epic proportions to eradicate sin. In fact, if you read this book, and as we go through it together, you're going to see clues throughout the pages that point towards toward God's answer to sin and his love for the creation that turned its back on the creator. Let me just point out one. After Adam and Eve sinned um, in the garden, you might remember that they, um, the Bible says they, they sewed together fig leaves. They were hiding from God. Come out, come out, wherever you are. And God knows where they're at, and they come out, but in that time they had been full of shame because now shame was introduced to the world. It had never been introduced before. What is this feeling that I'm feeling? I'm embarrassed. I'm full of shame. I'm humiliated. I feel disgusting. The same thing that you and I feel when we sin. And they wanted to cover themselves, which may I just add something to current culture? Moms and dads, can I just challenge you? I am speaking as a spiritual leader in your life. I don't really care what side you're on with regard to mask or no mask, okay? Not opposed, I'm not for, I'm not against. I'm just saying that here's the deal. If we allow this to go on too long with our children, they too will want to hide. They're gonna wanna keep themselves away instead of revealing themselves. What does the face show? It shows every emotion that you have, joy and sadness and anger and discouragement and frustration and fear, and it's all shown from behind the mask. The challenge that I have is we don't wanna hide these things. We wanna live openly before one another. And so I'm going to go back a little bit. Adam and Eve hid themselves because they were so full of shame. They didn't know what else to do. And it's the same thing you and I do. And God does something powerful. Come out, come out, wherever you are. And they come out and they've got the fig leaves on. And he's like, take them off. I mean, it's what the story talks. Read it. Take them off. So they take them off. 
and God does something. And it's revealed to us in about five or six words in the Bible, but let me elaborate on it just a little bit so you can see what happens. It says that then God, God gives to them animal skins. Let me just throw this out there. God doesn't just, and there's some animal skins. He doesn't run down to Walmart or call up Jeff at Amazon and say, hey, Mr. Bates, would you deliver some animal skins to me like I did, right? No, what he does is he probably, take those off, stand right here. Let me show you the effects of what you just did by eating from this tree. And he takes one of his animals, all of them are unblemished. Not one of them was, had anything wrong about them because they were in paradise, created by the creator God for his creation at our disposal. And death had never been seen on the planet before. And so they, he takes the animal, I think in eye shot of Adam and Eve, and he executes that animal in front of them. Blood is all over the place. A sacrifice was going to be made. And God, maybe through an angelic force, I don't know how it looked, but cut that animal open, gutted it right in front of them. They had never seen such horrible, horrific scenes before. God then removes the skin from the animal, scrapes it off in front of them, and gives it to them and says, cover up with this. Put it on. You're full of shame that you should have never been full of before. I told you. I told you, if you eat from that tree, you're gonna die. You're not just gonna die a physical death, but emotionally, you're dying right now. You just saw what I had to do, because in a few thousand years, I am gonna give to you something that isn't just gonna cover your shamefulness, your nakedness, and the result of your sin. I am gonna to give to you a perfect, spotless lamb, my very son, Jesus Christ, and he will give his life as an innocent one, as a ransom for your souls. All along from the time of creation to the time of Jesus through the church age, God's plan is to get us back into relationship with him, and it's all revealed in the story. When you read it, don't just read it, speed read it, but read it and think about it. Pray before you read it. Say, God, would you reveal to me what you're trying to tell me? The Bible says at the end of it, if, if we were to record everything that took place, there's not enough volumes in all the earth. It's a, it's a way of us understanding there's, there's deeper levels to God's word. What's the application of chapter one, Troy? What's the application of the, the creation story of the garden? Well, in creation... In creation, God shows you, oh, here we go. In creation, God shows you that you're valuable because he created you and he created me. Oh, my God. That could have been it. Because one day there's going to be another trumpet. And it's going to thunder across all four corners of this globe. Not a single person will not be able to hear that trumpet. Then the voice of the archangel is going to thunder across the sky. Then the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those of us who are left behind, we're going to be caught up together to meet him right there in the clouds in the sky. Jesus is, Jesus is, is, coming, is coming back. So the application and the creation, God tells us in creating us, Look at the beauty around you. 
you're even more valuable. In the fall, God shows us you're valuable. And in sin's damage to humanity, God is showing us that you are valuable. Turn to your neighbor. Look him in the eye. Would you do that? Just say, you are valuable. You are valuable. You're valuable. You're valuable. God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. If you think about that, he wants to personally be with you. And at great cost, God has done everything possible to get you back. You're valuable. True, lasting self-esteem begins by believing what God says about you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It'll never return void. It's truth. Thank you for this story. Thank you, God, for giving us a glimpse at the, the initial epic scene. And now, God, we ask that you would help us to be faithful, to be faithful to you, faithful to studying your word, faithful to rightly dividing the word of truth, faithful, God, to studying to show ourselves approved before you. God, we pray that you'd help us to be faithful, and Lord, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but help us, God, to be doers of the word.